Hello, I'm Mark Sweeney, and this is I'm the Guns Reboot Review. This is the eighth installment of my look back and recap of the adventures of DC Comics Legion of Superheroes. I look specifically at the adventures of the team after it was rebooted in 1994, where the concept was started again from scratch. Old fans of the Legion's 35-year history at the time would recognize many of the characters, but there was a freshness to the concept after a pretty dark period in the team's history. I stand by this era and think the various creative teams over the years behind these stories had a had a good grasp on the Legion and its members, and it was a good long run, lasting a full ten years. For much of this run, the Legion supported two monthly titles, Legion of Superheroes and Legionnaires, so most of the episodes of Reboot Review will cover one issue of each. The issues that were released in the same month. I almost forget now, in this Legion bookless time in the 21st century, that for for a long time in the 90s, we fans were getting a bi-weekly dose of our favorite super future teens. This episode will be focusing on the Legion books with the cover date May 1995. We've got Legion of Superheroes number 68 and Legionnaires number 25. First up is the Legion of Superheroes issue, a story called Sticky Situation. It's by the team of returning penciler Lee Motor, who draws a Tom Pyre, Tom McCraw plot, and a Mark Wade script. Ron Boyd inked it, Tom McCraw colored it, Bob Panaha lettered it, and Casey Carlson and Mike McAvenny edited it. This issue sports a cover by one of my absolute favorite comic artists, or comic art teams, I should say, Alan Davis and Mark Farmer. Alan Davis has drawn so many comics I love. He had great runs on Detective Comics, Batman and the Outsiders, Captain Britain, and Excalibur. This team, Davis and Farmer, would go on to do about 50 Legion covers, a pretty impressive run that gave this title a really, really attractive package. The story picks up with a group of Legionnaires confronted by a horde of giant bugs on a world to which they tracked, to this point, their greatest enemy, Tangleweb, also a giant bug who had previously killed the Legionnaire Kid Quantum. This group of Legionnaires includes Leviathan, Kinetics, Apparition, Chameleon, and Andromeda. Surrounded by the giant insectoids, Leviathan rushes at one of them and The insects respond in kind. Andromeda, the most powerful member, is hesitant to get in the fight due to her intense fear of aliens, but Leviathan manages to snap her out of it and suggests, well, maybe you should use your heat vision to fight back, a pretty good ability to have, and you're able to use it from a distance. And despite this, the bugs and their number just prove uh, too much, and they spray the legionnaires with some gunk from their mouths, effectively creating huge cocoons to restrain them. We then see a ship materialize in the atmosphere and descend to the planet. It's piloted by Invisible Kid, who has gone against team leader Cosmic Boy's orders and found his way onto this mission. Back on Earth, more specifically in a metropolis hospital, Triad is recovering from her beating at the hands of the racist, or specious, I guess, the White Triangle group under the Triad's recovering under the watchful eye of Saturn Girl. Saturn Girl, or Imra, still herself harbors resentment towards Cosmic Boy for being left off the team, 
that's tracking down Tangleweb. Back on the bug planet, or underneath the bug planet, I guess, in some subterranean catacombs, Andromeda manages to bust out of her cocoon and free several of her teammates. Only Chameleon is unaccounted for, and the members see that this that his cocoon had been broken open earlier. A quick search by the intangible apparition reveals Chameleon in conversation somehow with one of the bugs. Apparition moves in to attack, but she's stopped short by Chameleon, huh? In another part of the galaxy, on the planet Durla, where Chameleon is from, actually, a couple of hooded Durlins seem to be participating in some ceremony at the edge of a volcano. A contraption lowers into the molten lava and pulls up three giant crystals. One of them seems to hold a, some kind of nasty spirit with a mean-looking face. There's an exchange between the hooded figures and their native Durlin, which we aren't made privy to. That nasty-looking crystal seems to knock itself again against the rocky side of the volcano and breaks open, and this releases some amount of pink energy or goo, it's hard to tell. This obviously is the cause of some alarm to the Durlins, who scream and attempt to flee as the goo pursues, and that's all we're going to get this time out for this little subplot. Interesting, though. Back on the bug world, Invisible Kid, or Lyle, makes his way into the catacombs in search of his teammates. He manages to trip a trap and gets yanked into a chamber where Cosmic Boy, Spark, and an officer of the science police are being restrained by some gunky web. Kaz and Spark had been captured by Tango Web last issue. Lyle starts to free his teammates, but is interrupted by the arrival of Tango Web himself, making his way down from above, and he looks as menacing as ever. You know, a giant bug covered in mismatched armor plating. He'd look really silly if his look followed 90s trends of you know bulked up armor, but these metal plates almost look like they take the place of his limbs. And Tango Web is a lean, mean, web-spinning machine. And my compliments to Lee Motor, though I'm not 100% sure he designed this villain. He looks badass here. Back with the others, Chameleon, who has yet to master Interlac, the language spoken by most of the beings in the United Planets, including all the Legionnaires. Somehow he manages to communicate that their battle with the bugs has just been a, a big misunderstanding. Using his shape-shifting abilities, he recreates the story of recent history on this planet as told to him by the bugs. A crash-landed spaceship had been discovered by Tangleweb. A rotten apple amongst his fellow bugs, Tangleweb used the tech in the ship to increase his own natural abilities and has been attempting to subjugate his own race. The bugs the Legionnaires fought were, in essence, the good guys, and were really only responding to Leviathan's preemptive attack. Leviathan then gets a flight ring alert from Cosmic Boy. He and his group are free, and are managing to hold their own against Tangleweb, but a couple of tech-enhanced acolyte bugs are giving them some trouble. The teams reconvene, but the bugs attack Andromeda immediately with their webbing, which freaks her out. Leviathan, at giant size, grabs her and pretty much lectures her to, to get her head in the game. She threatens the big man, who says he's hanging on to her, even if she tears his arm off. She busts free and appears to take off, leaving her teammates behind. 
But all of a sudden, with the legion on the ropes, the ground beneath them begins to rumble. It's Andromeda who lifts up the entire plot of ground that the bugs are on. She flies the earth chunk into space where the bugs freeze, incapacitating them. In space, Andromeda has a, a cute look, you know, proud of herself for momentarily overcoming her fears. Later, the team says goodbye to the peaceful bugs. Cosmic Boy lets Invisible Kid off the hook for disobeying his orders, you know, this one time, deservedly, as once again Lyle's intervention helped turn the tide of a pretty bleak situation. And Kazus has a nice moment with Leviathan as the two reflect on the last time they had such a moment after Kid Quantum had been killed. Leviathan took that especially hard as he was in charge of that first mission, and with the defeat of Tangleweb, Gim can take the first steps to putting the ghost of Kid Q and his major leadership flub behind him. So a good issue. It jumped around quite a bit. The uh, Durla subplot will explode in the next issue we cover. But the defeat of Tangleweb, this was a major hurdle for the team to vault, you know, gaining some some closure on their disastrous first mission. There's a text piece at the very end of the issue by assistant editor Mike McAvinney, kind of justifying the reboot. His points kind of make sense. They're the old war horses about the, you know, the density of the Legion mythos and its seeming unfriendliness to new readers, which I suppose I can see, but really depends on the reader. My first Legion book was annual number three from 1984, and despite some unfamiliarity with the characters and concept, I managed to find my way around the 30th century okay. I dropped back in during the five years later run and, you know, wow, talk about dense. Still, I managed to figure out what was going on. I've got a feeling that the Legion either clicks with people or not. You know, if you catch the Legion bug, speaking of bugs, you're going to want to seek out what's come before. You know, some fans like myself, you know, to a maniacal degree, wanting every Legion appearance, every cameo, what have you, in 50 years worth of comics. And I'm sure there were some longtime fans that were unhappy with the reboot, but readers of the comics on the stands back in '95 were perhaps unaware. You know, here we have, here we were, eight months into the reboot, and there had been no letter columns in in either of the titles. And I don't want to read too much into that. I don't want to assume that they were deluged with tons of negative mail. McAvaney blames the lack of letter calls on just plain old lack of time and some editorial shifting behind the scenes. In the text piece, it's an interesting read. Alright, on to Legionnaires number 25. This is a story called Skin Deep, and it's by the writing team of Pyre and McCraw. Guest penciled by Mike Collins. Guest inked by Mark Farmer. Colored by McCraw. Lettered by Pat Brousseau. And edited by the same guys. Covers by the regular art team of Jeffrey Moy and W.C. Karani. This issue has a strange opening. It seems like a, a very strange dream sequence of Saturn Girls where she encounters doppelgangers of her teammates and, and other beings. These silent sleeping doubles begin to break apart. She sees Cosmic Boy's skin and muscle tissue being peeled away. Underneath there's a strange looking almost like a, a blueprint of Cosmic Boy. She runs from this pretty frightening scene only to encounter her own silent double. This jars her back to reality and we find that it wasn't a dream. She'd been attempting to 
circumvent the language barrier with Chameleon by entering his mind. And those doubles were kind of mental templates to all the beings Cam's been in contact with, kind of morphing plans which would allow him to take their shape. This is translated by Invisible Kid, the only legionnaire who knows any Durlin language, and has so far been Chameleon's closest teammate. The interior of Cam's mind has really freaked Saturn Girl out, and this, combined with her persistent hurt feelings over being excluded from the last mission, caused her to storm out of the room in an act akin to kind of what we've come to expect from Andromeda. On the planet Durla, reports of a massacre have drawn the attention of the science police. A couple of officers have been sent to investigate. One of the SPs happens upon a wounded Durlin, but then he's killed from behind by a hidden assailant. The assailant immediately assumes the SP's form, so it appears that we have a Durlin bad guy. He makes short work of the other two officers and steals their spaceship. He apparently has a real mad-on for his fellow Durlins. He asks the ship's computer to locate Reap Daggle, who we know as Chameleon. Back at Legion HQ, we check in on a couple of members. Spark gets a pretty bad poem from a secret admirer, which I will recite for you after the end theme. Apparition complains to XS about her off-again relationship with Ultra Boy, who happens at that point to send her not flowers, but a cactus. I guess that's how they woo the ladies on Rimbor. In a bit of a payoff from a couple issues ago, Violet confronts Andromeda about her handling of some white triangle goons outside of a nightclub. Andromeda had offered to apprehend them, but when she saw their triangle jewelry, she let them go. Laurel gets angry and defensive, but offers no explanation and storms out. That's not good. We then get one page of Saturn Girl inner monologue, which, which I find a little puzzling. I'm not sure where she's coming from. She's definitely taking what she feels as rejection pretty hard. Her non-inclusion in the Tangleweb team somehow leads her thoughts to what she feels is the sorry state of the team. She calls them rudderless and uninspired, and rather than throwing herself at Cosmic Boy, now I may have I may have missed this. They, they did share one awkward moment after playing a virtual reality game a couple issues back where they almost kissed, but I wouldn't necessarily call that throwing herself at him. She thinks something kind of troubling. Instead of throwing herself at Kaz, she should be getting him to see things her way. I don't really get her thought process here, but it's a beautifully illustrated page. Mike Collins draws a, a very pretty Saturn girl on par with series regulars Jeffrey Moy and Lee Motor. Imra makes her way to the communications room where Cosmopoid's receiving Leviathan's report from Science Police Headquarters after delivering Tangleweb into custody. Leviathan gets into a little bickering match with Officer Siobhan Erin, which Kaz tries to quell just as Saturn Girl walks in. She tosses off a sarcastic remark about him not being able to handle the situation by himself, and she storms out. It's strange behavior. Over the view screen, Kaz somehow picks out a strange-looking SP officer, saying something about him didn't look right. When Siobhan stops to question him, he lashes out, growing an extra limb, which takes Siobhan down. Leviathan grows to gigantic size, and the Durlin bad guy, who this happens to be, counters by shrinking, assuming the form of a bug. 
he bites Leviathan who passes out. Now, this should raise some red flags to anyone with any knowledge of how Durlin abilities work. If they can assume the shape of anything they see or imagine, but not necessarily the abilities. You know, assuming the form of a bug, a Durlin should mechanically be able to fly because it, they can mimic the wings, but they should be able to inject venom into a, a bite victim. Looks like we have a very special Durlin threat on our hands here. The science police group searches the headquarters for the Durlin as Leviathan and Siobhan receive medical attention. Apparently Siobhan's back was broken, but she'll just miss a few days of work, apparently. Ah, 30th century medicine. The Legion arrives in some officially licensed Legion rain ponchos. I've never seen those before. An SP officer claims to have found and shot the Durlin in the form of a mouse, but Chameleon immediately recognizes that it's not the mouse, but the officer. He's right, the bad Durlin surprises Chameleon by calling him Reap, and knocks him through a window using Reap's own shape. The bad Durlin calls him a coward and a religious hypocrite. The members of his bloodline had him imprisoned in a volcano. The Legion tries ganging up on him, but he assumes the form of Spark next, and is able to actually cast lightning, much to Invisible Kid's surprise. He claims, rightly, that Durlins shouldn't be able to do that. The Durlin confirms that no, they shouldn't, unless they're a genetically modified Durlin, meant to be, meant to be a living weapon. Until being declared a living sin and imprisoned by some religious leaders on, on their planet. Thinking quickly, Cosmic Boy sends Andromeda away as if the Durlin copied her powers, it, it would be all over. A troop of SP officers makes the scene, but to protect them, Cosmic Boy blocks their way with a pile of poof, SP ships. And it's up to the Legion now. The Durlin kind of scrolls through all the Legionnaires' powers, countering a hurled metal object from Kaz with apparitions in tangibility and countering kinetics telekinesis with Violet's shrinking power, when the true Violet takes her doppelganger on, the Durlin morphs into Brainiac Five, but then is swatted by Leviathan. It's Brainiac's copped super-intellect that gives the Durlin the idea, though, not to just use one appearance and ability at a time, but all the Legionnaire's powers. And on the last page, the Durlin takes on the amalgamated look of several legionnaires as he projects lightning from one hand and magnetism from the other. The legionnaires look on, shocked. Kazu Boy is stunned into silence. In the next issue blurb, the Durlin gets a name as the box says the legion fights the Composite Man. So what we have here is the reimagining of an old Superman and Batman villain called Composite Superman. This old character was an Earthman who somehow gained the powers of the entire Legion, and he fought the world's finest duo a couple of times, but the most memorable thing about Composite Superman was his look. Totally inane, but his costume was half Superman, half Batman, and I don't mean like mixing Batman's boots with Superman's belt. His costume was divided down the middle vertically, where his left side was Batman's costume and his right side was Superman. I have no idea how he kept half of a Batman cowl on his head. A little ridiculous, and 
He was never really used to the potential he had as a truly powerful supervillain. This reboot version still looks still looks a little wonky with, with that amalgamated form, but is written so far as much more of a sinister threat. And we'll see that threat play out next time. Any thoughts on the Legion? Durlins and their abilities or giant bugs? Any fond remembrances of the old composite Superman? Let me know by leaving a comment on my blog, imthegun.blogspot.com. I'll be posting some images from these issues there. You can email me at imthegun at gmail.com and find me on Twitter where I tweet as at Mark Sweeney Jr. You can find previous episodes of Reboot Review on iTunes, so please check those out. I'll be back in a couple of weeks with another episode, so until then, LOL, live on Legion. There be none of beauty's daughters with a magic like thee, and like music on the waters is thy sweet voice to me. Signed, your admirer.